Hi there, my name is Ben Cesario. I'm the author of Doolittle, a book in the 33 and a third series about Doolittle the album, and I'm going to be talking with Dean and Brian later. Here is number 13, Baby. Got hair in a girl that flows to her bones in a cold Welcome to podcast number 13. Baby, 
We have a great one coming up for you guys, and we started it off right playing, appropriately enough, number 13 baby off of Doolittle. And Dean, what does Doolittle have to do with tonight's podcast? Well, sir, we have Ben Cesario on our podcast later tonight. He's the author of the recently released Doolittle book. It's a bit of analysis of that particular album. Chat with Frank Black, a little bit of history. It's got all the elements in there. It's a really, really well done book, and I quite enjoyed it. And I enjoyed talking with Ben, and I hope that you guys will enjoy that too. That book is part of the 33 and a Third series. It's been coming out recently and has covered all sorts of different albums and is really a great series. And uh, if you don't know anything about the series, Doolittle is a great way to get introduced to it. It's a really quick, fun read, and it's full of lots of information about the Pixies. But, Dean, we're not going to be just playing Pixies tonight, are we? No, we're not. We have uh, the wide range of Pixies and non-Pixies material tonight. In fact, we thought since we are talking about Doolittle... Uh, and talking with Ben, we'd kind of go and try... You know, every time we Brian and I pick songs, we try and come up with some sort of theme for it. And this week's theme is Frank Black songs that remind us of the Pixies. So we've picked a couple B-sides for you, actually, just to kind of spice it up even more, that we really think sound like the Pixies. Yeah, it's spicy. Spicy, hot. Yes, so Brian, why don't you tell them about your pick first? Okay, uh, we've actually both picked songs that fall in the early alphabetical stages of Frank Black 2. They're both A songs. And <laughs> we're going to start with A Dabble Do Ya, which to me sounds a little bit like later era Pixies. It sort of has that driving beat and the Joey-esque guitar. And uh, I just think it's a really great underappreciated song. You can find this on the iTunes exclusive EP that came out a few years ago or more recently on the One More Road for the Hit B-Sides compilation. So first up is A Dabble Do Ya. And then after that, we're going to go into my pick, which is Amnesia. I think it has a very Pixies-esque style as well. Not quite a Joey-style guitar, but definitely similar in style to him. I I'm not sure who plays on it exactly. Uh, it, was, it could be Joey himself. We don't know. It could be, yes, because it was on the Headache single, right? Yes. Uh, yeah, and it's a great song, too. In fact, I played a clip of it to decide if that was really as Pixies-esque as I remembered it. And it's now quite in my head, so I'm looking forward to playing it and getting out of my head. So here we are, a Dabble Do Ya and Amnesia. me 
next song we're going to hear is from Hey, a Pixies tribute, which was put together by Mr. Dean Katsiris and the wonderful folks here at frankflack.net. The people in Dean's room are really going nuts over Dean right now. It's amazing how loud they're coming through. But um, <laughs> anyway, um, this was put together a couple of years ago, and it features many, many forum members taking on Pixies songs. This song starts off both the Pixies tribute album and also starts off Doolittle. It's the baser done by Mother Universe. our sometimes atrocious grammar, Dean and I do like to read. So it was a real pleasure for us to sit down with Mr. Ben Cesario, author of Doolittle, a book in the 33 and a third series. Well, Ben, thank you for coming to our podcast and talking with us. I wanted to know initially, how did you come across writing about Doolittle? It's part of a series of books called 33 and a third that first started to come out a few years ago. They are, if anybody has not seen them, they're 
short and kind of small books that are little monographs on one album, and each one is written by a different writer. So I tracked down the publisher and got on the list, and I'm not the only writer who did that. There are many other people who wanted to do it, and they just sort of kept a, you know, a wait list. The um, list was specifically for Doolittle or for the whole series? Uh, no, for everything. You know, I don't actually know exactly you know, how many people contacted them, but you know, they, they're a small publisher, and they sort of only had a budget for a certain number of books at the beginning. And I was told, you know, hey, thanks for writing. You know, the budget is gone for, for this year, but if the books continue to sell, we might continue the series next year, and then we'll do a request for formal proposals for the books. So I think that was January of 2004 or maybe the end of 2003. I think it was more like the end of 2003. And then at some point near the end of 2004, I got this email from the editor that says, okay, we're now accepting proposals for the books. Your proposals are due in two weeks or one week or whatever it was, which is a pretty short time to put together a book proposal. But I had told them originally that I really wanted to write about Doolittle, and I actually made a, a short list. I mean, I started with a very long list when I first looked at this series of you know what I would want to write about, what albums. And, um, you know, I I made a list of dozens of records that I'd want to write about. And then I just was able to slowly kind of hack it down. And as it got shorter and shorter, I realized that there are not that many records that I really feel that I could sort of never get sick of and that I have loved for a long time and always enjoy listening to and enjoy thinking about and enjoy reading about and you know want want to know as much as i possibly can about them one of them was funhouse by the stooges and the other one was pixies doolittle and that was actually like number 1 on my list and i sent that in and when this request for the proposals came in i just sort of banged out a a proposal outlining my just kind of basic approach and what i would want to do and sent it in and to my surprise I got the gig, and that was right at the end of 2004. That was when the Pixies were finishing their sort of first North American leg of their the first leg of the reunion tour. It feels like your book would be suited. It's it's kind of the Cole's notes to Doolittle. Yeah, it can be read that way, and I think the sort of second half of the book, which is the part where I go song by song, song by song, yeah, through the record, and I try to give as much background as I can about where the song came from, but also sort of stylistically a guide to how it's how it was written, performed, recorded, etc. Yeah, I think that part, you know, could be read as a sort of guide, but the rest of it, and it's, let's see, I guess it's about two-thirds of the book. I tried to sort of write as one story, one kind of story arc that begins someplace and end someplace, and I tried to encapsulate the story of the Pixies. I mean, I was I was very fortunate in doing this because, A, it was a really fascinating time and kind of the perfect time, I think, to write about the Pixies. It was the reunion, and they were right in the middle of it. And I think it was a sort of very unique moment in, in rock music. I mean, I, there are not all that many bands that sort of had that, career arc that they had that you know 
were celebrated but not really all that famous and then broke up and continued to be celebrated heavily and sort of set up as this archetype of a particular kind of music that influenced many, many people and then came back, you know, bigger than ever. They were playing places that they that they never played at when they actually were around the first time. And when they played here in New York, they played the Hammerstein Ballroom. They played eight shows in a week at one of the major venues in town. It holds, I think, 3,500 people. So altogether, what is that? Almost 30,000 people. I mean, that's larger than the capacity of Madison Square Garden. And, you know, this is by a band that had broken up 12 years before having never gotten higher than about number 70 on the Billboard charts. So, I mean, it was a, it was a good time to sort of look back on, you know, what were the Pixies all about. But I was also very lucky because Charles Thompson was interested in participating in this project. And when I found out about the book was actually right before they played these shows in New York in December of 2004. And I had interviewed him a few times before and didn't really have all that much of a relationship, but I, I felt confident enough that I could approach him and, and sort of make my offer. And so I, I met with him at a Starbucks across the street from his hotel one morning where I, he went every morning and not a soul recognized him not only in this busy Starbucks outside of Penn Station, but on the street, in the hotel lobby, nobody recognized him. But we sat down, and I showed him some of the books, and I said, you know, I want to do one on Doolittle, and here's why I want to do it, and this is what I want to do. And I said, I want to spend some time with you talking about the record and about the rest of the music by the Pixies and your history and I want to get into it in detail and I don't care at all about the soap opera and I don't care who said who had cooties or who got jealous of who I said I, I wanted it to be focused on on the music and once I said that I think he was sold I started out district attorney style at, with the sort of interrogation of you know when did this happen? When did you do that? When did you start? Who was there? Right. Uh, what happened? What happened first? What happened second? What happened third? What about this song? What about <laughs> that song? The journalist um, Exactly. Just, you know, ask questions, see what he says, and, you know, ask questions to get as much information as you can, but also just to kind of see what he reacts to. He reacted most to, to sort of lyrics at first. And that's, I think, when we started talking about some of the lyrics, especially in the song Hey. I think that was the, the one that really got us started. And he talked a lot about the sort of sexual impulse in it and about the, the character that sings that song. And there's a, there's a passage in the book where he, he talks about that. And that was the very first day that was probably within an hour or so of us, you know, beginning our, our interview. We, we, we got right into that. And, and from there, it was sort of like every song just, you know, went one after the other. As I say in the book, he, you know, he, I felt he sometimes had a sort of 
passive aggressive attitude toward being interviewed where um, he was happy to talk, but sometimes he would kind of clam up. And I felt that he would pretend that there was no answer to the question that I'd ask. For example, what are the, the meanings of, of these words? What are you talking about here? What is this about? What's behind this? What's behind that? A lot of times when I would sort of try to probe him a little bit, he would res- respond by just saying, you know, it doesn't mean anything. They're just words. It's just a song. It doesn't mean anything. It means whatever you want it to mean. However, I was able to prod him repeatedly and I think that I was partly successful in that, in sort of trying to break through some of that shell. What was the piece of information about one of the songs that you would have never seen coming that really took you by surprise as a listener? But one song that I was kind of surprised to be told about by Charles was number 13, Baby. It's got some lines in it that have always just totally beguiled me and that I thought from the time I I very first heard this record in 1989 I was 14 years old and some of the lines on number 13 baby I I thought had this effect on me like six foot girl gonna sweat when she digs stand close to the fire when they light the pig that I I always imagined it as, as this sort of pagan sex ritual that you know the girl, you know, dancing around the the spit with a fire shooting up. Somehow it, it just seems so primal and so carnal. Some of those words, you know, like the pig, just just the, the poetry, the sounds of those words is kind of dirty. And so and I was, this is actually one of the very first things that I had, that I asked him. And, you know, his answer was, was sort of about how when he was a kid for a while, he lived next door to a Samoan family. And they would have backyard barbecues where they would sort of rotate the pig on a spit and sing. And in his mind, he, he sort of put that memory together with, with the sort of like gang girls of Southern California that, you know, he had a crush on, the sort of badass, you know, lowrider gang chicks viva la loma rica the words that are broken up in the song you know viva i don't want no blue eyes la loma i want brown eyes rica viva la loma rica he says was was the name of a gang in southern california in the 70s and I, I have not been able to track down any information about this gang but he says that it was spray painted all over the place the letters v l l r and that you know, as a as a kid, he would see this, and he would sort of see the the gang kids, and it sort of aroused his young sexual imagination. And he put it together in a way that, you know, I, I don't think in a million years I, I would have figured that out if he hadn't just told me. Okay, well, thank you, Ben, for sitting down and talking to us. And now, ladies and gentlemen at home, we have our rarity for the week. The Dog in the Sand demo is what we're going to be playing today. It's an acoustic version, a few effects on the guitar and Frank's voice in particular, but uh, otherwise pretty straight up and a nice, nice cover. It's really, you can hear every little nuance of the guitar, which is nice. Uh, Yeah, uh, I agree. This is actually one of my favorite songs to play on the guitar in general. And uh, this probably, I'm going to presume here, is from the same session that brought 
the four acoustic demos that are on the end of the Dog on the Sand album. Would you agree, Dean? Yeah, probably. It has a similar sound, but uh, yeah. obviously this one hasn't been released. Right. So it's an exclusive. You heard it here first and only here. And enjoy. Dog in the Sand. Podcast 11, we did a trivia contest to win Reed Paley's two solo albums, Lucky's Tune and Revival, and we are proud to announce our contest winner. 
But before we do that, we've brought Reed Paley back into the studio to tell us exactly who was playing on the recording. So, Reed, inform us. My uh, my good friend and longtime drummer, uh, Mr. James Murray, and on bass was the legendary Tony Mamoni of many, many, many different bands, including, of course, Frank Black and the original Perubu bass player. And I was playing guitar, and Charles was playing guitar and singing. So thank you, Reed, for that information. And with the winning entry, here is Fu Man Brew. Hey, hey there, hosers. How's it going? Eh? Like, like I'm doing pretty good. I'm drinking beers and listening to the Frank Black podcast. Eh? So, uh, so yeah, like this is uh, Fu Man Brew here, all the way from the Great White North, and I'm responding to podcast number eleven, Frank Black Hedgevig trivia question. So, like that uh, that Hedgevig fellow is uh, is sure some peculiar dude, eh? <laughs> okay, alrighty. So, so like yeah, like I believe the correct response is Reed Paley on guitars. Tony Maimomi on bass, like, like, is that the dude in Black Sabbath? Eh? Oh, okay, alrighty. So yeah, and uh, and Mr. James Murray on drums. So yeah, like, I hope I win a beer or something. Yeah, okay. And I just want to add, like, I really like the the podcast, eh? But uh, but Diener, you really got a funny accent there. Eh? <laughs> okay, alrighty. Take off, eh? <laughs> well, you're not the only one to comment on my strange accent, Fu. Uh, I've I've heard it from a lot of people that I'm pretty much unintelligible with my Canadian speak, but I'm trying my best to sound clear for you guys. That, of course, was a bit of a parody of the Canadian classic comedy show SCTV, which, incidentally, had a young man named John Candy featured quite prominently on it. Very good show. If you ever come across those DVDs, definitely check it out. So, Mr. Fu, we'll be sending you a couple Reed Paley CDs. They will be in the mail shortly. And then, uh, while we're on this kick of frankblack.net forum member submissions, I thought it might be a good idea to play another selection from our frankblack.net salon. Brian, you want to tell the folks at home who have just joined us in the last little while about the salon and what we do on the forum? Why should I? It was your idea to play the song. Yeah, but I've done a lot of talking here, and of course, people can't understand me, and I want to make sure they understand this part. So. No, I was being sarcastic because you said that it was your idea to play another song right now, not our idea. Oh, yeah, well. I, I just, I'm just making I'm the idea know. generator here, Brian. Yeah, You're apparently. the workhorse. You know how it goes. <laughs> oh, God. The salon is an area of the Frank Blackdownet forum where members can post their own artwork, music, photography, poetry, whatever it is it's creatively they do. And we, every now and then, pick a song that is not a Frank Black cover, that is a piece of original music by one of our forum members and feature it on the podcast. And so today we're going to feature a track from forum member Dr. Evil. Now, I'm going to say I have no idea how to pronounce the name of this band, but because I love the stuntman Evil Knievel, I'm going to go with the pronunciation that sounds the most like that. So here is Evil Tordevil with Leaning Against the Wall. Your eyes are cold, 
So that was Leaning Against the Wall by four-member Dr. Evil. And you can actually hear more from them. There's some interesting and quirky stuff there. It doesn't all sound that way. They, uh, it was kind of a tough choice to pick which one because there's a variety of sounds there. But you can check it out for yourself. MySpace.com slash evil. That's E-V-I-L-T-O-R-D-E-V-I-L. Say it however you want. As long as you type it in that way, you will get there and you can hear some more stuff. Now we're wrapping up the podcast here, but before we go, we don't want to leave you guys without some sort of event to compete in. So in honor of Ben being on the podcast, we actually received a couple copies courtesy of him and his publishers of the Doolittle book to give away to you guys. So what we're going to do is give away a copy of Doolittle to the first person to answer what question, Brian? What song on the album Doolittle? is the word Doolittle mentioned. Yes, so that's... It's pretty an... easy, we think, but, you know, might be a little bit challenging for those that haven't really listened to the lyrics, or maybe those who don't speak English as their first language. Maybe it's, you know, difficult that way. So basically, we're just hoping for a quick answer here, and the first person to let us know correctly will get a copy of Ben's fantastic book. So, quick draw, get it out as fast as you can to us, and we will go by obviously you have to get the question right i mean you can't just email us and say uh you know calistan and expect to get it unless calistan was somehow the answer but i can assure you dear listeners it's not so or is it okay <laughs> that's how many times have we uh covered that's that at song three. at least at three least three uh we, sh- we should just start an acapella twilight zone cover group <laughs> that would be our, our shtick. We'll go up on stage for 45 minutes doing Twilight Zone music. Why don't we just quit our day jobs right now to prepare for that? Because clearly that's our ticket to the good life. To stardom. I think yep. so. Uh, but we should finish this podcast first just to be responsible. And then we can quit all our you know our jobs. Well, well how, how about this? How, how about we quit our day jobs and we do our first gig in San Antonio, Texas? I see uh, what you did there. Uh, and I see uh, that you've learned the transitioning uh, skills well, young grasshopper. Uh, well done. <laughs> and if, as you may have guessed from Brian's very uh, hopeful us, we are going to play you San Antonio, Texas as our last song on this podcast. Frank Black mentioned it in the interview last time, and we didn't have enough time to play it. So we're going to play it this time. And uh, yeah, just a great little track from Devil's Workshop. Apparently fairly tricky to learn to play live. I'd haven't tried playing that one before so i didn't realize that but anyway a good song in fact it was on our best of not too long ago so obviously it's a fan favorite as well maybe they like the complex chords that i didn't realize were there maybe they just like the song you can be the judge when you hear it yes so thank you for joining us for yet another podcast and we'll see you in a few weeks good night good day goodbye bye-bye Texas, hearing you, my dear, I'm all alone.